My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. It's the Irishman in America from Irishman Abroad podcast with me, Jarrett Regan over here and Marion McKeown over there. Marion, when it comes to State of the Union addresses, I always thought that when you and I talked about them, it was always just a bit of a showpiece, just a bit of a hey, look at those guys, they won't let me do this thing that I'd really like to do. And in the end, it just ends up being a nothingness that we have to endure each year. This was a little bit different, though, this week, was it not? Yeah, I think it was. And I agree with you, this, these State of the Union addresses, they, they're kind of like so many things um, nowadays. They seem to have aged and aged and to a point where it's a bit like the political Oscars almost, but without the dresses and the glam and all the rest, where you just have a smaller and smaller audience every year. And every year you think, God, I wish they'd do something with this. I wish they'd make it more interesting, whatever. In Bill Clinton's era, which was what, the mid-90s, around 16 million people used to tune in to watch the State of the Union. Now, admittedly then, there weren't that many other options, because as we know, Al Gore invented the internet, and there were only three TV stations. So you either watch Bill Clinton or you... You switched over to something, God knows what else, and dynasty yeah. problem. So, so, <laughs> um, so you know, it, it has been diminishing in popularity, partly because people have so many other options for entertainment, and also partly because America has a real sour taste in its mouth about politics generally. I think American people, not all of them, but an increasing number, have just become more and more cynical about politics and politicians. And of course, the country is so bitterly divided now and so partisan that a lot of people just probably wouldn't watch Joe Biden on principle. You know, they wouldn't turn on mm, the TV. Mm. But he rolled back the years. I, I mean, he, I was not expecting this. And I think I heard you talk to Cal Thomas about what to expect in this thing on Today FM. And I think you were both didn't see this performance coming. He really no. looked like a younger politician and had some really witheringly great moments where there weren't attacks on Republicans, but they were, it was just common sense, the common sense that, I guess, politics has been lacking. Power for the sake of power, conflict for the sake of conflict gets us nowhere. That's always been my vision of our country, and I know it's many of yours. To restore the soul of this nation, to rebuild the backbone of America, America's middle class, and to unite the country. We've been sent here to finish the job, in my view. I think he really came into his own. For one of the things about Biden that I feel for is you almost think, God, what does he have to do? 
to get the respect <laughs> she deserves. Well, and we spoke about this after the midterm. What does the guy so well. do? You know, he's introduced more legislation than anyone since, um, I think, Kennedy or possibly even FDR. You know, he's created 12 million jobs in the last couple of years. Uh, he has passed one significant piece of legislation after another. And he's been a decent guy who really has been trying to do the most for the least advantaged Americans and for the middle class. Like, you know, he, he comes across, he, he exudes fundamental decency. So last night, he pretty well knocked it out of the park, I thought. Now, you know, overall, and, and exactly as you said, the best part of it was that he, you forget he was in the Senate for 30 odd years. So he's used to engaging in, in, you know, a bit like the House of Commons. He's used to sparring over and back and, and, you know, having to defend himself on his feet. And there were so many moments last night where you saw him not just take on the hecklers, but enjoy it. He was laughing yeah. at things doing it. You know, he seemed to be really enjoying himself, whereas most presidents, if they get heckled, they, they, they just don't know what to do with it. Some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. I'm here in London at the moment doing shows, preparing Jarzilla for Bloomsbury on March 12th, my stand-up show. And last night I had my Republican hecklers at the show. Literally everything I said, they had an issue with. And <laughs> there was a certain part of me at a certain point that had to reassure the rest of the audience, this is going to be fine. I've dealt with a lot worse. I've done gigs in prisons. These three drunken women here are not an issue. What was and, Marjorie Taylor you know, Green at your gig as well? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that was what I thought was so reassuring about his response was that it didn't phase him. I often wondered, well, what is what is his take on all of this blowback that is constant, you know, as you've called it, kind of fire hose of dissent that's just screaming out of control from all directions. He he welcomes it. And he's like, we do need to air these things out and talk them out. And But did that go in? Was there widespread praise for his response? I think overall, the response in the States has been he did a pretty darn good job. And particularly the sort of political jujitsu that he was doing where he really failed the Republicans and left them so flat-footed when he spoke about Social Security and Medicare and that they wanted to sunset it. Now, he was absolutely right. Rick Scott, who was the chair of the Senate election campaign, re-election campaign for 2022, had a document where he said that all of basically... Everything like the equivalent of Medicare, medical, free medical aid for old age pensioners and for very poor people, the equivalent of the pension, all of these things should be should expire after five years and the next Congress should have to decide whether they want to introduce them or not. So Biden was absolutely right. Another Republican senator, Mike Lee, has pledged that he will make it his business to eliminate Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. So when the Repub when he said this, the Republicans started booing him and calling him a liar, liar. Marjorie Taylor Greene was jumping up and down. She looked like she looked like a mall from from in this big yeah, white fur. She, she looked like a mafia mall. 
And, you know, she she was really it's a strange or, choice of of coat, or, right? For, especially when no one else is wearing coats. Marjorie Taylor Green, it's all about look at me. And she knew she would stand out in a sea of men in dark suits if she arrives in this flamboyant white fur coat. So I think that was the game plan there. And of course, she was jumping up and down like a jack in the box and, you know, shouting and screeching. And it's disrespectful because even if you don't respect the president, you should respect. If you're in Congress, you have to have some sense of history some sense of respect for the office of the presidency. And she and Lauren Bobort, and there were a whole bunch of them, the, the, really the, the, the people who are beyond Kevin McCarthy's control, and, and that's actually a lot of Republicans. But when Joe Biden started speaking about this and she was jumping up and down shouting liar, they all started booing. And then he said, oh, good. And that to me was why he said, oh, so we're all on the same page. So you don't want to get rid of social security. So you want to keep it. And it was so brilliant because he literally <laughs> nailed them. There was nothing, yeah. if they sat down and said, no, they were wrong, if they, if it, no matter what they did. And he did the same about the police as well, where he said, you know, he spoke about the police. And this was in the context, of course, of Tyree Nichols' brutal beating, really tragic death. And he said, most policemen are very good and all the Republicans stood up and applauded. And then he said, but there are ones who are not, and they have to be made accountable. And of course, what do you do at that point? You're kind of upstanding applauding, you can't suddenly sit down. And so he kind of got them flat mm. on a couple of things, but mainly he came across as feisty, he came across as optimistic as well, that and willing to work with Republicans. You know, he did a couple of things that were really gracious from the outset, where he welcomed Kevin McCarthy and congratulated him on being speaker. He also had a shout out to Mitch McConnell, pointing out that he was the longest serving Senate leader in history and congratulations on that. So he really did start and he gave Nancy Pelosi, of course, a big shout out because he and, he and Nancy are, are very good friends and just congratulating her on being what I think most people would agree a really distinguished speaker, and he said the best ever, and a lot of people would certainly agree with that. Very, it's very strange not to have her in the background. I it, know. It was like it's such a, just part of the, the scenery there to see her there applauding. Kevin McCarthy shaking his head, doing Kevin McCarthy faces. Yeah. He had made a request to Biden before this speech that he wouldn't mention MAGA extremists. What can you tell us about this and the things that Joe Biden didn't talk about, that he elected to completely leave out. Well, I think that the, on the MAGA extremists, I don't think Biden was going to talk about that anyway. I don't think it was necessary. I think that he had set the tone for this speech, that it was going to be forward-looking, that it was going to be optimistic, that yes, he would call the Republicans out on the debt ceiling, he wouldn't make it clear that he was not linking the raise of the debt ceiling to cutting entitlements, to, as Republicans call them, to cutting, you know, basic things like the pension and, and health care for ordinary Americans. So he was he stayed very clear on that. He, I, I think overall that, that McCarthy didn't do that bad a job. I think to be fair to Kevin McCarthy, yes, there were the eye rolls and there were a couple of smirks and snickers. <laughs> But he did stand up a couple of times and applaud things that Biden said. He did sit down and applaud quite a few things as well. And he did visibly frown and scowl at the, the, the naughty kids at the back of the class who were shouting from the gallery and, and whatever and, and tell them to shush several times. So I think that Kevin McCarthy walks such a tightrope because at the first wobble, 
somebody's going to call a vote of no confidence, the first time he looks crooked on Marjorie Taylor Greene or any of that crowd, they're going to say, right, we, we're calling a vote of no confidence. We, all, we want to get rid of you. He's got so little room to manoeuvre that I thought, given that, that he actually was reasonably gracious last night. And, and of course, he's wanted that seat probably since he was in short pants. <laughs> he's wanted to sit behind the president with the speaker's gavel and he finally got it. You know, so, uh, you know, whatever we think about him having to go 15 rounds to get it, you know, I suppose you have to respect his tenacity, if, if nothing else. But his next two years are going to be hell. I, f- I find him, you know, I've, I, I sort of, I find his weakness and I find his cravenness as a leader and his desperation to please everyone and be everything to everyone sort of repugnant. But I don't think he's a deeply unpleasant human being. And I've met him several times and he's not a Ted Cruz. He's not a Josh Hawley. He, he's not a Matt Gates. He's, you know, yes, he's invertebrate, but he's not the worst of, of those Republicans, the MAGA Republicans, as Biden would normally call them. The guests in the House on the day is a big aspect of this speech. Yeah. Bono shows his face, but I did yeah. not expect to see Bono there. Irene Nichols' family being there. Yeah, they were. were just so, yeah. That was so incredible to have them there. Tell us a little bit more about this, because this, again, is just something where no one could have a problem with this. It just, it definitely united everybody in the moment. I think so. Now, it wasn't just Tyree Nichols' parents who were there. There were family members for at least half a dozen other young uh, black men and women and, and a, a, a young 13-year-old who, who was shot dead in, in Chicago a while back um, because somebody called into the police that they saw him with a gun. So uh, Trayvon Martin's um, relatives were there as well. So Tyree Nichols were the most high profile and they were seated right beside um, Jill Biden. They were her guests, not too far away from Bono, who was sitting beside the um, young uh, fellow who who has basically saved from that awful shooting at, at the um, the dance studio in, in Monterey Park in, in Los Angeles a couple of weeks back. And the, 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 um, when, the, when the shooter went to his second dance studio, having killed 11 people in the first, this, this young guy whose parents or grandparents owned the studio uh, stopped him and got the gun from him. And he was there um, and he was congratulated for, for his bravery by, by Joe Biden, which he absolutely deserved. Uh, he was seated next to Bono. Bono was there, I think, to mark the anniversary of the George W. Bush. Um, one of his is, I think, possibly, I, I'd argue his only decent achievement um, while he was president where he did really um, go all out on a package to help um, Africa deal with, with it, the AIDS problem in Africa. And it was done at, at Bono's prodding and at the prodding of a lot of other people as well. But uh, Bono was there. And, and again, you know, you, is, there any, is there anywhere he doesn't turn up? <laughs> are there six of them? <laughs> you know. uh, well, well, speaking of older men that are doing better than you'd imagine, he looked sensational, it has to be said. I think just Bono looks brilliant. For a, a man who's done so much and been around so long, one person I felt didn't look great was Sarah Huckabee Sanders delivering the response. Some oh, of dear. some of what she said was really shocking to me, even when I thought I couldn't be shocked. What was uh, you? Can you tell us a little bit more about the response? I didn't obviously get a chance to hear every minute of it, and I doubt many of our listeners will either. It was so unfortunate because she. 
Sarah Huckabee Sanders, now when she was press secretary for Donald Trump, she was not liked. She she lied blatantly to journalists, you know, frequently and blatantly. She admitted under oath that she had lied repeatedly for Trump, you know, in her capacity as press secretary. She was a deeply difficult woman to deal with as press secretary. You know, look, the rebuttal speech is, it's the toughest gig in in um, politics because nobody really wants to hear you and you have to you have to be either so quick that you can catch somebody on the hub and you can be on your feet and refer directly to what they said and pick them up on it. It was clear she had written that speech months ago. It was so mm. irrelevant, so disconnected from what Biden said. And then her best line was when she looked at the camera and said, really with a straight face, the dividing line in America is no longer between right and left. It's between normal and crazy. Now, I think most people watching that thought, but uh, which side are you? Like, you're dead right about that, Sarah, but, you, but I think you're on the wrong side here. Because, you know, what a stupid line to follow. And she could have just cut it because when you saw the antics of, as I say, the, the crowd in the peanut gallery, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and, and her cohorts, and, you know, and, and the heckling and the booing and, and just, you know, the history of Kevin, of Kevin McCarthy's election as speaker and the craziness that went on in, in, in the House that night. And for her to put in that line, I mean, it was just so tone deaf, so comical. I mean, I, you know, I suspect mm. every stand-up comedian in America is going to have a field day with that. For, for, yeah. It's going to become a meme. It's going to become everything. But she also came across as sullen and, you know, unlikable. And, say, you know, a lot of the stuff she said, like, uh, you know, at 40, I am the youngest um, woman ever to be governor. At 80, Joe Biden is the oldest man ever to be president. But you want to go, so what? So what, what? what's your point here, Sarah, exactly? Because yeah, good, for, good for you and good for yeah, him. Exactly. You know, it, it just didn't land maybe the way she wants to. She has, I what my mother would have called an unfortunate manner. <laughs> you know, she yeah. doesn't come across as likable. She came across as taciturn and you know, this dystopian view and, and all the stuff that they're going on with on the culture wars and the critical race theory, it's like, oh, get over it. Get over it. You know, it just sounded tired and old and irrelevant. And and to me, she underscored everything Biden had said. She actually, she could have been, you know, a plant for Biden almost because mm-hmm. to go from him with that sort of geniality, the optimism and yes, the toughness and yes, the tenacity. But the energy that he, he had last night, and indeed he showed it again on a visit to Wisconsin where he was in front of his favourite people, a crowd of union workers, manufacturers, and he was really, he's got a pep in his step at the moment. And I think it's now going to be very hard for Democrats. I'm pretty certain he is going to announce that he's going to seek a second term. I know we've both said, oh, he really shouldn't. He should finish this one out and be as a president who had an exceptional first term. But I think he'll go for a second term. And I think now it'll be hard for Democrats to kind of deny him that because he seems like he's chomping at the bit. He, he wants this and he wants to, as he kept saying, he wants to finish the job. And his eagerness to get things done, it just contrasted so much with, as I said, that kind of churlishness that Sarah Huckabee Sanders displayed, where she really had nothing to offer except snide comments. And uh, as I said, and her very unfortunate calling it out, but not in the way she intended when she spoke about the choice between normal and crazy. 
Of all the things I thought we were going to be sitting here discussing after this State of the Union address, I did not think it was the certainty now that we have that Joe Biden looks set to run. I just really didn't see that on the horizon. I didn't see the UK-type parliament heckling coming either. But it did, when I look back on it now and I watch the footage as I prepare for this episode, it seemed very planned when I look at it now. It was like there were certain key words that they had agreed together. If he says that, everybody up. We're all going to do. We're Does all- that happen? Is that is that a thing? Am I imagining that? Actually, I don't know. I certainly suspect that you could see that that the Map Gates and as I said, the Taylor Greens and and the Paul Gosars were spoiling for a fight. They wanted. They were not going to respect Joe Biden. They were not going to be respectful as they've been asked. He's not the first president. The first president who was treated with absolute disrespect was Barack Obama, and I think it was, it was. Just after Obamacare, and he was talking in delivering his speech, and one of the Republicans shouted out, "You lie!" with absolute scorn, and and you could see Obama just wasn't expecting it. He was visibly thrown. Now th- there was a motion to censure that particular Republican, whose name now escapes me, but you know we did see even let's call it out, let's be be equal here. Uh, when when uh, Donald Trump delivered his speech, his final speech, Nancy Pelosi tore up the speech behind him. Now, you know, again, that sauce for the goose and all that, that was disrespectful. Again, if it's about, you know, she was the leader of the House. She was the speaker at that time. And, you know, the year before, I thought she was much more skillful in, in conveying her contempt, but in a way that left no fingerprints. Because every time Donald Trump boasted about how great he was, she would lean forward and give this terribly patronizing <laughs> smile at him as if to go, aren't you great? Like somebody, like a four-year-old child who just brought home his first potato print. You know, she was... Some, yeah. You know, and that's clearly yeah. what um, Taylor Green was trying to do in the white suit as well that Nancy used to wear mm-hmm. and, and really just trying to heckle it. But the problem is that you're not behind the speaker. You're not standing behind. You're in the crowd. Yeah. You're disrupting the thing. Is you say a motion to censure that person. Will there be any any comeuppance for yeah. these individuals who Absolutely. got so involved in this way? No. You know, politics has changed. It's gotten so much more coarse. It's gotten to where, you know, it, you're rewarded for behaving like a jerk now in politics. That's Donald's <laughs> legacy. Really, it's encouraged and it's rewarded. And in any case, Kevin McCarthy, he wouldn't dare touch one of them. He wouldn't dare. Because, as I said, they will call, like, one of the concessions that, that he had to give in order to become Speaker was that, yes, just one person can vote to call a vote of no confidence in me and I can be turfed out. You know, so he he really is not in a position where mm-hmm. he can try and impose any kind of order on, on the, this crowd who revel in disorder, who revel in disrupting and and, you know, who revel in just being sort of disrespectful and obnoxious. You know, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene has made a career of it, of, of yeah. just being obnoxious. You know, That's I, the brand. That yeah. brand. And I remember going to, to Dalton and Rome, which were the two towns in northeast Georgia that are in her constituency. Everyone was trying to show me she was lovely. Everyone was saying she's not like that in real life. Well, you know. <laughs> the character she plays on the show. It's like she puts on the suit. You know, she puts on it almost and she goes on. It's like a real housewife where she's doing this reality TV thing 
and she's building her brand and building her persona because she knows when she eventually gets turfed out, then she'll get a job on Fox News or she'll get her own reality show or she'll be on at a minimum dancing mm. with the stars. Well, in the second half of our discussion over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad, we will cover the Murdaugh murder trial. As promised last week, one of the most insane, bizarre and twisted trials I think I've ever heard of in all our life. So much so that last week we were like, well, we can't, we can't give this the time it deserves. Big deep dive over there on Patreon for all our proud members. We can't make the show without you. We'll also do a look back around the parishes of the news across the pond, including a lovely story about P-22, the LA mountain line. We'll talk about LeBron James passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and lots, lots more. But we need to do a George Santos catch-up. Washington. Washington. What is happening with Georgie Boy this week? You have to marvel at his brass neck, okay? So at the State of the Union addresses, the most coveted seats are the seats on either side of the aisle that the president walks down because it means you can be there to either grab his hand or, you know, be photographed with him as he talks to you, as whatever happens. And, you know, of course, all the Democrats want to hug him and kiss him and clap him on the back as he makes the entrance. But so, too, do the Republicans, because they want to be in the frame where they can be seen, I, you know, whatever, like looking scornful or looking contemptuous or whatever. So George Santos, don't know how he did it. He's only a newbie. Usually those seats are like gold dust. He bagged one of the aisle seats so that Joe Biden would have to walk straight past him and he would be on the camera. You'd think he'd be running away from cameras at this stage, but no. So anyway, as he took his seat, Mitt Romney, who is a Republican senator, walked past him and saw him there in the aisle seat and turned around and pretty well said, what are you doing here? What are you in, what are you in that seat for? You don't deserve to be here. You shouldn't be in, you know, in here at all, basically. And initially, Santos, I think, thought Romney was stopping for a chat and was beaming at him. And you could see the body language that was all ready for, yes, hello, lovely to meet you. And you could see his facial expression change as Romney turned on his heel and continued to walk down, having delivered a sort of drive-by, a drive-by ass chewing, you know, as he trotted down the steps. So that was the more benign thing that he's been up to this week. The second thing that's happened, which is altogether more serious, is that he's now being investigated for allegedly sexually harassing a an employee, somebody who he had employed to work as an assistant in his office in the Longwood Building in Congress. His first name is Stephen Dyer, I think his name mm -hmm. was. Um, yeah. One guy, uh, 30-something, he used to work as a reporter in Ohio for, for a, a um, online newspaper there. Uh, he was got into a spot of trouble uh, undeservedly because he, he uh, wanted to basically um, report on a murder trial and there was some kind of a rule against taping it or whatever or broadcasting it. And um, he got his knuckles wrapped for that, came down, applied to become George Santos's um, assistant, God knows why, uh, got the interview, got the job. He was told, now there are very strict rules, I have to say, about, you know, hiring people and, and indeed firing people in Congress. So you, you cannot have volunteers in your, your office. You have to hire them and put them on the staff. The average staffer, you know, low ranking staffer would get about 50 grand a year, which is not too shabby for answering phones and responding to constituents' letters, etc. 
So this, he was hired as this, but he was told, oh, well, we haven't got our finances set up properly yet. So can you just work as a volunteer for the first week and then we sort out your money and you get paid? So he was in the office with uh, George Santos and he said there was the two of them there and Santos asked him to come and sit in a sofa beside him, a small sofa. And he kind of said he felt uncomfortable. Then Santos asked him, would he go to a karaoke night in Washington, D.C.? that night and he said no he couldn't really sing and Santa's more or less said oh you know it doesn't matter of course you should come and he claims at that point that Santa's put his hand on his knee and then proceeded to move his hand up his inner thigh to his groin and at that stage he said he just got really uncomfortable and and um, left. Now he reported it to the House Ethics Committee which said that he is and you know he, he put a copy of the letter online um, and where he sets out his complaint very clearly against Santos. Uh, and so he, apparently Santos is now being investigated for that as well, <laughs> as all the other investigations that are going on into him by the House Ethics Committee. Normally that committee works at a snail's pace. It'll take years for them to reach any conclusions. I don't know if at this stage if they might feel that it's actually better to just hurry this up and pull the plaster off the wound and get Santos out or do something so that, because he really has become a national embarrassment, where well, he was from the get-go. Yeah. Um, but but um, this, this charge is now, this claim is is much more serious. That, you know, so... Well, so yeah, um, it, it's, it's less crack than I was expecting in this section of the show, but I, I think that there is a darker side to this story. And uh, the question I've been asking the whole time is, what, what is the what is going on in George Santos's head? Like, what produces this? And the closest explanation we could find this week was from Nick Lalota. On he told CNN that George Santos is a sociopath who thrives on negative attention. He's a he's a congressman himself. Did you get to see this interview? And do you go along with that? I haven't seen the interview, but George Santos clearly has some personality problems, some some sort of um, serious issues, I think, because it's true that all he gets, all, the only attention he's attracting is negative attention. He has no champions. He has nobody who support him. He's not able to play the victim in any of this. Um, I think that, you know, it, it's almost taking the old Oscar Wilde thing to absolutely absurd extremes that the only thing worse than being and spoken about is not being spoken about because he's on the news every day for something. And it seems that he's almost relishing it, that he's relishing this notoriety. He has absolutely denied that he in any way sexually harassed or, or groped um, this assistant of his, who was then let go, it has to be said, without any pay, very, very promptly. And that violated another ethics rule in, in Congress because of the way his hiring and firing was mishandled. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad and get double size Irishman in America episodes every week. Double size Sonia Sullivan Irishman running abroad episodes every week and access to our full archive. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. 
Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.